Hi, everyone. Welcome to the I Dare You podcast. This podcast that is all about you and helping you reach the big goals that you have for your life. And what next steps do you want to take to get there? I'm your host, Darren Johnson, and welcome to episode 73. I'm glad you're here. For those who are listening for the first time, welcome to the show. Thanks for checking us out. I hope you like what you hear. And if you do, I invite you to subscribe to this podcast. You do not miss an episode. And episode 73, it's going to be fantastic. You're going to love our guest. He is Tom Tursich. You may have heard about Tom. I bet you don't know a lot about him yet, but you will. Tom Tursich is the 10th person to walk around the world. Yes, to walk around the world. And his dog, Savannah, is the first dog to accomplish such a feat. Not only is Tom's adventure a demonstration of incredible physical endurance, but it's also a lesson in mental endurance and a lesson in resilience and problem solving and also the oneness of humanity. Tom crossed jungles and deserts and mountains He's broken bread with people from all walks of life, even attended a wedding or two, and we'll talk about that in the interview. And he has spent more than half of his life reflecting what makes life meaningful and how to achieve our dreams. Now today, Tom is a writer, photographer, he's a renowned speaker. He has shared his story worldwide. He's been featured on CNN and BBC, Good Morning America. So what are you going to learn from this episode? Well, you know, if you love to travel, this is unbelievable. You're going to love taking literally a, a tour around the world in the next uh, 35 minutes. Also, you're going to get a different in- insight into what it takes to pursue and achieve a really big goal and how to stay with it. And if you love dogs, forget about it. Welcome to episode 73. Let's get this started. Here, everyone, is Tom Tursich. Tom, welcome to the podcast. It's really good having you here. Thanks for having me. Okay, Tom, I think the obvious question I've got for you is six years, six continents, 28,000 miles. First off, where are you at right now on planet Earth? I am in Wasilla, Alaska. Uh, This is where my girlfriend is from, and she just finished med school and is starting uh, her residency in June. So we're taking a couple months that she has to just hang out with her family while she still can and before she's working her 60, 70 hour weeks. So currently in Alaska, enjoying the very long days and uh, and they're just getting longer. That's great. Well, okay. Now you've walked around the entire globe. You heard a little bit of my introduction of you. Where did this all begin for you? Why did it become a goal? Take us there. Yeah, it began when my friend Emery passed at 17. She was very close. We grew up a block apart from each other. We walked elementary school together. In high school, her friends were my friends. And so she passed at 17 in this freak jet ski accident. And it really drove home the fact that I could die and it could happen at any moment. So it forced me to reflect on what I wanted, what I valued in life. And when I thought about this, I knew I wanted to travel. I wanted to be forced into adventure, forced into adventure because I knew I was a little timid and introverted, and I wanted to understand the world. And so when I searched for ways to resolve all these things, I discovered this guy, Carl Bushby, and uh, uh, Steve Newman, another uh, guy who had walked around the world. And that just lodged itself in my head as the answer to uh, how to live the life I wanted. And it was eight years of going to school and then living at home and saving and paying off loans and working and saving until I thought I had enough money at 25 uh, 
when I could leave. So I left the day before my 26th birthday and, you know, seven years and 28,000 miles later, it's all said and done. It's just incredible. And what's, what's um, on my mind is most people, when they have that type of a, a goal, in fact, very few have a goal that big, but very few people take that next step and actually put that into action. How did you stay committed to, as you said, being very intentional, uh, working and building up savings? I think I read somewhere you actually paid off your school loans before you did this. Why did you decide to do that? Because most people wouldn't have done it that way, or they would just would have gone into debt. What do you think? Yeah, well, I the I, at the time when I was 17, I probably wouldn't have gone to college. I was ready just to start <laughs> to walk right away. But wow. I had signed an early acceptance already. And so I had made that commitment. And my mom would was having, you know, no, she wasn't hearing anything about me not going to college. So that was part of the deal. I had to go to college. And I'm I'm glad I did because it helped me grow up a lot. But I think the reason I, you know, persevered and had this focus was really because the world walk was an idea born of my values. It wasn't some arbitrary. Want I, I didn't just want to be successful. I didn't just want to have money. I didn't just want fame or, you know, it was something that I reflected on for uh, months after Amory died. And so when I found the idea of walking around the world and connected with it, it was really because it matched the things that I wanted to satisfy deep in the core of me. Uh, so it, it was it was fairly easy uh, to persist in pursuit of it. Wow. Okay. Persist in pursuit of it. There had to be times, there had to be times, those dark times when you maybe thought, is this worth it? And maybe not, maybe your purpose was so dialed in that maybe you didn't, but were there those times? When, when did that happen for you and how did you get through it? There was maybe only one little section of the walk where it was really mentally draining and emotionally draining. That was about two to three years into the walk, I had fallen ill from a bacteria infection after South America, and it nearly killed me. I lost about 45 pounds from it, oh. from a very slim body that does not have 45 pounds to lose. But when I picked back up after walking, I was in Europe and you know, I was at that point recovered physically, but mentally I wasn't. The bacteria infection did a number on me for about seven months and I was in a lot of agony. So when I picked back up and walking, I'd been in agony for so long that all my thoughts kind of had this dark bend to them and my optimism was turned to pessimism. And I was walking through the German winter and then Belgian and French rain. And even though there's bike pass and like objectively walking in Europe is very easy compared to having just walked Central and South America, but I was just mentally not strong at that point because I had just been in pain for so long after the bacteria infection. So those days were really, really challenging. And that was the only point where I was question I was thinking, you know, what am I doing out here pushing through the rain when, you know, my I have my friends and family back at home. But again, the the world walk, when I thought about it, <clears throat> I couldn't imagine doing anything else. Again, it wow. was that an idea born of my values. So when I thought about even returning home and then thinking about what would I do after that, I just could not imagine doing anything else. So even if this was really difficult and there was times it was brutally difficult, 
I could never just imagine finding anything that fit what I wanted. Hmm. So the walk then started because of your, as you mentioned, because of Anne-Marie, of your friend, and did it always remain about Anne-Marie? At what point did it become even a bigger cause and a bigger, not necessarily purpose, but did it become bigger than that? Or even now, as you look back on it, no, this was, it started with and still is about Anne-Marie. Well, it's interesting with Anne-Marie, I think she was, her death was definitely the catalyst to me walking around the world, but I wouldn't frame it in the sense of I, I walked around the world for Anne-Marie. It was more because of Anne-Marie mm. and, and, but that's how I thought about it for a long time. Uh, but then when the walk finished and I ended up, I had a sponsor of Philadelphia sign and they donated a dollar a mile into Emory scholarship fund. And when I finished, they presented her family with this big check. And, uh, and then uh, my other friend passed away a couple of years after Emory died and they gave a check to her family as well. And so I was with the families after the walk was over and it kind of really, maybe I had been dismissive of the idea of the walk being for them. But then once I was with the families, I realized it, it really, it was for them. And even for the families, the walk meant a lot to them. Uh, you know, I, I thought of sort of after Emery died and then her friend Shannon, my friend Shannon died a couple of years later, it felt the way I thought of it, it was like, almost like I got hit by like a piece of shrapnel, like from their death and that, you know, a piece of them got lodged into me um, that spurned me on to, uh, you know, to, to greater things or to, to more life. Uh, so when I finished, it did feel like there was some sort of resolution of uh, having walked for them that I didn't even realize I was doing. Wow. It's incredible. Now you are the 10th human to walk around the world, correct? Yeah, that's correct. And you also then have the, the notoriety then you were with someone, Savannah, that is the first dog ever to walk around the world. Tell us about Savannah. Who is Savannah? How did you meet her? What makes her such a special companion? Yeah, Savannah's uh, a beast. I have a lot of <laughs> respect for her. Uh, you know, she's the first dog to walk around the world, like you said. It, I never imagined doing the walk with a dog, but after the first like, four months of walking in the U.S., sort of getting the kinks out and figuring out what I was doing and camping in all these strange places, I kept thinking, and it'd be really nice to have a dog that could listen while I slept so I could get a good night's sleep. And so when I got to my cousin's home in Austin, I was like, you know, I'll just go check out an adoption center just to see, you know, not really expecting too much out of it. I spent about two hours there trying to you know, feel out these dogs and I wasn't really connecting with any of them. And then I was just about to leave and I thought, you know, I'll take one last lap. And as I'm taking this last lap, uh, some volunteers bring out Savannah and her sister, who they had just found on the side of a highway. And they're just little puppies, all mangy and scraggly. And I thought pretty much right away, I was like, this is perfect. Uh, this dog will be great. And Savannah was very timid, and but also very mellow. And um, but I thought this was perfect because I they thought she was an Australian Shepherd, a high energy dog. And then it's also a puppy where she would know no other life. And that really like bore out like as the right as the right choice. At the beginning in Texas, it was really difficult to get her leash trained just to get her 
she didn't even want to walk. She didn't want to, she was terrified of cars. You know, she's found on the side wow. of a highway. So she would freeze up um, whenever a car was anywhere nearby. But eventually she uh, got to walk in. By the time we reached Mexico, she was walking the full 24 miles a day with me and wouldn't have it any other way. And so she ultimately, she became, you know, like perfectly adapted to life on the road because it's the only thing she ever did. And uh, yeah, I mean, she's, she's a beast and she's been, um, you know, an inspiration and, and really in a lot of ways, like a teacher for me in uh, the kind of like lessons of persistence and sort of like grace under pressure. I would, I remember having this thought looking down at her pretty far into the walk that, you know, she never, she probably gets stomach aches and muscle pains. And there's sure, I'm sure there's days where she wants nothing more than to just lay in bed, but she walks every day with her tail held high and she's happy about it. And mm-hmm. so I just like always try to do that same thing where, you know, go about my day, put in a good day's work, be content, and then set it aside. What great lessons. What great lessons. What does it, what's a day in the life like? I know every day had to be different. But give us some kind of a sense of a typical week or a day and some of the habits that you and Savannah had, mental and physical, to stay in it. Yeah, I mean, really, the a typical day is is pretty simple. You wake up, um, pack, pack up my things, be on the road, hopefully within an hour or so after waking, sometimes less, and then start walking, hopefully find a place for breakfast, walk some more maybe find a place for lunch, walk some more, maybe find a place for dinner. And then as the sun's going down, look for a place to sleep. And there's a lot of variance in that, you know, in, in Europe where it's densely populated, I would probably buy a coffee and a croissant or something like that just about every morning, not every morning, but quite often I would get lunch somewhere and probably I would just cook I would cook pasta for dinner at, at my camp at the end of the night. Uh, in the deserts of Peru and Chile, you know, I was bringing everything with me. So, you know, there was no finding a place for breakfast or lunch or dinner. Uh, it was getting to a town once every three or four days. And in between that, it was when I wanted a coffee, I would sit down, make a coffee or, or you know, have a peanut butter jelly sandwich or eat some nuts and um, and power up that way. Uh, so it was really, you know, it's just walking. It was about, you know, try and aim for minimum 21 miles a day. Mm. Rough maximum of 24 is what I could sustain uh, day after day after day. Um, so somewhere within that range was pretty good. And uh, but, you know, it it varied. It's like a very simple kind of act, but you do it through so many different places, so many different countries. The the variance in days is is huge. And also just the act of walking in itself and just existing out in the world opens you up to serendipity. So there would be a week where say nothing happened and it was super boring and I'm just spending time with myself and kind of, it just, it feels dull. And then another week happens where I meet someone interesting every day and get invited into, you know, someone's home uh, multiple times that week. And or, you know, some, you know, I come across some incredible landscape or something. Uh, so uh, it, there's a lot of variance, uh, but, you know, there was that the, the through line was literally just trying to push forward 21 miles or so every day. 
I'll bet in that type of a routine that you really got in tune with your body in a way that, you know, very few of us can, you got to understand the cues your body's given, what type of nutrition your body needed. What did you, if I'm, am I right first off, and what did you learn about your, your body and how, how the human body performs and what it needs? Yeah. Um, I mean, definitely just, ha- I had to just shovel food into my face constantly because I was probably burning about 5,000 calories on average. Uh, so like flicking back on it, like, especially when I was in some countries with a, a more abundant food supply, just say like the U S for example, where every gas station is basically mm-hmm. a supermarket. Um, right. I would get like these bags of hostess donuts. I would eat three full meals a day, be snacking throughout. And then at the end of the day, just to like make sure I just pile in, uh, you know, this bag of hostess donuts or I drink a liter of milk uh, just to just feel good the next day. And like thinking about that now, it's like, man, that is so gross. I don't even want to look at this, you know, right. those things. but at the time my body needed them. So mm. there was that. Um, but then, yeah, also, I mean, it was very much in tune. I mean, when I didn't eat those, when I, when I didn't really force down food, um, I would feel it the next day. And so I I really had to be mindful of making sure I ate a lot, uh, because Mm -hmm. if I didn't, I would be tired and sore the next day. Um, but walking itself was not, uh, it was not detrimental. Uh, I don't have any injuries from it. I, I never felt like, um, it was wearing on my body. Uh, I think it just, I got stronger and stronger kind of the more I did it. The only thing I had to be mindful was of was just stretching. And so I'll just stretch a little bit, probably every night for maybe 10 minutes, something like that, stretch out the hamstrings. Uh, I think just cause I was holding this cart and I was in the same position for so long, I'll get a little tight in the lower back sometimes, but just a little bit of stretching and, um, you know, and otherwise it was fine. Uh, wow. And then also I needed, you know, I had to have good shoes. I ended up uh, really latching onto Brooks Cascadia's. And uh, <laughs> before I did that, I lost like so many toenails. I had so many oh. blisters. So I, once I found a combo that works, the smart wool socks, and then these Brooks Cascadia's, my feet were in good shape. Okay. Brooks Cascadia's. That's great. Now, were you then sponsored by, you were decked out with, with, with Brooks and REI sponsored you and, and, and Patagonia, were you just a walking billboard or, or no, you were very much under the radar. Which one was it? Uh, I was much more under the radar. Yeah, no, no. I mean, you know, for me, it was, it was, I had enough money to live my dream. So what else did I need kind of thing? Brooks did send me uh, shoes. So I would I bet. They'd send me shoes up ahead, so I would get the shoes and smart wool. Uh, I did some work for them, some photography work for them, but they always sent me socks and um, and clothing and stuff like that. Uh, but there was no like, you know, it was it was very low key. It wasn't about yeah. just like promoting these other. And also, I didn't want to shill stuff that I wasn't a believer in. I didn't need that much. I had basically three shirts with me: a short sleeve shirt, a long sleeve shirt and uh and a smart wool base layer so it's like you know i'm not going to use anything beyond this so i'm not going to just take products from whoever you know i i'm living out of a baby carriage i don't have that much space and everything i have is well selected uh so i'm just not you know it wasn't about it was never about you know shilling products it was about about walking around the world yeah. Well, okay. So you, what, what exactly are you pushing then? You said baby carriage. What else, what does what your gear consist of? What, what are you walking with? 
Uh, basically all the camping gear. So, you know, yeah. tent, sleeping bag, sleeping pad. Uh, had a, a, a plastic crate that I'll put all my food in. Had a laptop with me. Had uh, my camera with me. So it's kind of like a souped up version of camping. I was afforded a, a, like a little more luxuries with a baby carriage. Um, and I, I pushed the baby carriage first off because I think it's probably the only way to walk around the world. Uh, just because there's points where you're going to go three or four days without food and water, without access to food and water, especially in South America, um, and then or even in the U.S. Um, and then with Savannah as well, uh, it proved really to be the right decision because there's only way to bring enough food and water for the both of us. But then beyond that, I just didn't want to destroy my back with uh, carrying a backpack sure. for five to seven years. That just I had no desire to carry it all. Oh, on my I can back. imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So you mentioned a couple of times that this trip was, I forget how you phrase it exactly, but I'll paraphrase, linked to your values or, or born out of your values. Tell me more about that. What, what does that mean exactly as you now reflect back on it? Uh, well, I think just like to find, you know, um, a purpose in life. Like it's nice to, I think I've been, I've been very fortunate that to, to feel like I have had a very specific, very um, detailed purpose in life. And not everyone has that. I would say most people don't have that. You know, some, not, not everyone has everything. I mean, I have, I remember having this conversation with my friend and she has this sister who's, they're like attached at the hips, they're best friends. And she always felt a little lacking because she didn't have this purpose in life like I did. Uh, but I don't have, you know, uh, a sibling who's like, I'm attached at the hip with. So, you know, not everyone has everything, but anyway, um, the, I think to find a purpose, because that's what it was for me. It was, it was about finding a life that aligned with my values. Um, the first thing you have to do is define your values. You have to, you have to really reflect on yourself and take seriously. What are the things that you want out of life? And then for me, I found the world walk and, you know, walking around the world is, not like I'm not staying at five star hotels. I'm not driving an RV. Yeah. And, you know, so even though this, I found this thing that aligned, I found this life that aligned with my values. You have to be willing to, you know, say these values are what's important to me. And what's not important to me is how I achieve them. You know, it's not important that I'm not staying at five-star hotels. I'm not saying that hotels most of the time I'm camping and I'm eating pasta and I'm eating peanut butter and jellies. And that's okay because the things that matter to me are travel adventure and understanding the world. And the rest of it is all secondary stuff. So it's a matter of prioritizing the things that you value. And so that's why, you know, the world walk was kind of, you know, born. It's not the perfect way to travel. It's not the most comfortable way to travel, but it achieved the things that I wanted out of it. Yeah. Wow. That's a great perspective. And you are a great follow on Instagram. Uh, what is your hand on Instagram, sir, for those who are not following you yet? Yeah, it's the world walk. And you're a great photographer as well. And and where did this passion for photography come from? Did it happen along your walk and became great at it along your walk? Very much so. Yeah. I had no interest in photography before <laughs> then. Zero. I had probably taken a dozen photos in my life before the walk, but through the walk, I had this fundraiser before I left uh, to help me pay off the last bit of my loans. And once I, 
people donated to me, I really felt indebted to them to share the journey. I think before that, I probably wouldn't have even had an Instagram or a Facebook. But again, I felt indebted to them and I felt a responsibility to share the walk. So I that's where I, I bought a camera and was taking photos every day. And just through the act of taking photos every day and then passing through new places with beautiful things, uh, you just naturally get better at trying to figure out and capture what makes each place unique. I remember early on in Honduras, it was this really beautiful, subdued beauty. And I just did not have the ability of as a photographer to capture it. And it really frustrated me. And so then I think from then on, I started actually focusing on it. And also photography was the only hobby I could really have on the road. I couldn't play piano. I didn't have a desk to like write or, you know, I didn't have the time to do most of the things. So photography kind of fit into the lifestyle and it fit into just, you know, being in new places every day. You know, if you could go back to one place and visit it again, uh, whether you're camping and having a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or you're at a fancy resort, I mean, I'm just curious, what part of the world would you say, I would love to go back again and again and again? Which which part of the world would it be? Uh, I mean, probably Europe. Uh, Europe really? is, it's just, it's beautiful. There's great food. Uh, the cities aren't entirely run over by cars, which is really nice. And you can walk down little side streets and have a dinner without, you know, cars just driving by and ruining it with noise or whatever else you can ride your bike places. Uh, but there's a lot, you know, I would love to go back everywhere. I mean, there's every, every place has great aspects to it. South America has this great wildness to it and this massive expansive, uh, landscape, and then Central Asia, Turkey, Georgia, Azerbaijan are these incredibly vibrant cultures and these great confluences of history, which make for incredible architecture and storytelling. Um, so, you know, every every place has has, uh, you know, it's it's great aspects. But for me, I've done a lot of, you know, adventuring and 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 tough traveling. And so now I would just like to like ride my bike around the city, get a cappuccino here and there and some wine. (laughs) Good deal. You've seen humanity. You've seen people all around the world. Every, every time I turn on the news, it's just bad news and such division. I need some, I need a good story here, Tom. What, give me the best of humanity. Uh, Give me an example or two where you saw it as you traveled around the world. Yeah, there's a a lot of examples. Um, I remember in Guatemala, Guatemala was a really difficult uh, country to sort of figure out to walk through because it's so mountainous and right off the road, it's just jungle. So it's really difficult to find places to camp there. And I, I found pretty early on that I just had to get to a hotel every night. It was the exception that I, I didn't, um, until I got to the coast at least, and pretty early on, I was walking uh, towards the end of the day and you're just pushing up and down mountains and it's so hot and I'm covered in sweat. And I came to this town and I sat on the side of the road, just covered in sweat. And it's probably an hour from sundown. I'm like, I don't know where I'm going to sleep yet. I'm going to have to find somewhere. And this guy walking by asked if um, everything was okay. And I said, yeah, you know, I'm walking. I walked from the US. I'm looking for 
you know, place to camp. And he's like, Oh, just come to my house and you can, we have an extra bedroom. You can stay there. So, you know, had dinner and had dinner with him, met his family, all this. And, oh. uh, you know, this happened so many times over and over and over again. And it was always, it always amazed me because, and, you know, now I would, I would be more willing to help a stranger, um, because I have been the stranger, but I, I think at the beginning, I was like, this is, it really blew my mind because was, I didn't think at the time I would do the same thing. And, you know, there's, I think a normal human tentativeness and wariness. Um, but I also think there's in America, there's like a, a, a crazy amount of protectiveness over uh, your property and your land, um, which kind of was just was still in me, um, just growing up in, in, in America. And with that, that culture of protectiveness, uh, but all around the world in Turkey and Algeria, in Georgia, Azerbaijan, at like every place, every country, people went out of their way, um, to help me, uh, in Turkey, I was in a little village in, uh, right after I entered and I was just sitting in a chai shop with all these guys in the middle of the day. And I, uh, this one guy started talking to me and the same thing happened. He's like, you know, you can just stay at my house tonight if you want. And I wasn't sure. I was like, well, I'd like to just walk a couple more miles a day, but uh, it's so hot. I don't know. And, you know, I may as well. I stayed and there ends up being this wedding between these two villages. And so like these two villages combined. And so I, I went to this wedding there and everyone was fantastic and then slept. It's uh, just a lot of kindness for sure. Uh, Yeah. And, you know, the news is the news, the news it, you know, you don't report on uh, 10 million people lived peacefully today. There's nothing to report on report on the, the flashpoints. And, you know, even also something to like consider is when I walked through El Salvador, it was in the most dangerous month of the most dangerous year in its history when you look back at it and but even then for how dangerous it was there uh when you compare it historically it they think that averages out to about the danger uh, or like the the homicide rate as the average medieval city so really you know just everything's relative and we're right. not really good at at getting relativity like on a on a time scale more just comparing here and there so yeah it was uh the world is very safe and um people are good everywhere for sure it's good it's good you read my mind actually understanding relativity i think that helps me understand it because i was going to ask you were you ever ever just thinking it through about the risk that you're here i sound like your dad here tom forgive me but are you thinking through the risk here and and do you just answer, answer the question? That's it. That's the answer. Correct. There's risk in life. And whether you're staying at home in your basement or you're actually out exploring the world and having an adventure, there's risk involved. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think people just, um, I think they calculate the, the risk or I think they calculate life incorrectly where they think it's, they, they handle it with too much care and they, and they almost handle it with like absolute preciousness, but, you know, the thing is like, you already lost the game's over. Like you're already dead. It's going to happen no matter what. And it doesn't happen. It doesn't matter if it happens when you're seven or you're 77, you already lost the game. And so I think people, uh, get just handle their lives with so much care. Um, and they kind of underestimate their own, 
resilience and creativity and kind of underestimate maybe even just the kindness of other people. Um, and so they end up, you know, really sheltering themselves in place, not knowing that they are creative and resilient and adaptable if they get out into the world and that, you know, you can make mistakes and you can be tired and sore, uh, but you'll survive and you'll be stronger because of it. Great point. And coming from you, that means a lot. You know, Tom, I was talking to a friend of mine, we we're talking about setting big goals. And the observation that we had was this, I want to see if you agree with this or not. When we are chasing a big goal, we have it in front of us, and we're actually moving toward that every single day, small, consistent steps. There's some value in that there's happiness in that there's mentally, it feels good. And then when you reach the goal, if you if you do not have another goal, something changes. In other words, you reach the goal and part of part of you is thinking, wait a minute, I thought it would feel better when I actually reached the goal. I actually felt better when I was chasing something. Now, my friend and I, we've never walked around the world. You have. Would you agree with that premise? And if so, give us your perspective on that. I mean, when I first started the walk, when I finally reached my goal of just beginning walking around the world, I was like on cloud nine for two months or so. And <laughs> I think the same thing happened after I finished where I was in this afterglow of having finished the walk for like two, three months where, wow. you know, I was just in paradise. But then ultimately, yeah, I needed to, um, you know, find another purpose. You, you, you definitely... I think to have some satisfaction in life, you have to have something that you're aiming at, that you're working towards something, you know, that just gets you up in the morning and that, you know, you can work on and improve on. Uh, and so for me, you know, I think just getting to the point where I could begin the world walk was eight years. So, it, you know, that's such a long task that it makes sense that there was kind of a two month afterglow, not just like a sure. week long afterglow. And then when I finished the walk, it was the same thing. It was seven years. So it makes sense that there was a couple months afterglow. Um, so yeah, I mean, you're probably right where it, uh, you know, you do have to just continually have something to aim at to, to keep you moving forward. That's right. Okay, Tom, uh, what's next for you as you look at 2023 and beyond? What's giving you a great deal of joy and purpose right now as you think about what's next for you? Yeah, right now I'm working on some keynotes, which I'm really enjoying. Uh, it's something I don't think I would have enjoyed before the walk because I wouldn't have anything to say. I would have felt like a fraud. <laughs> but now after having walks uh, around the world and having experienced so much and met so many people from so many different places, I actually feel like I have a lot to offer. So I'm really uh, look enjoying uh, distilling some lessons from my walk into these keynotes uh, that I'm giving to. Uh, different corporations and um, it's a, it's a lot of fun. Uh, so I'm enjoying that. And then uh, I have a book deal. Uh, and once the speaking engagements are kind of up and running, then uh, I'll be working on the book for probably a year from uh, the end of this summer to the end of next summer and, and getting that memoir out there. So that'll be a lot of fun. I'm glad to hear that. I can't wait to read that book. And I can't wait to read even more about Savannah. She sounds very, very special too. I can't wait to read that book, Tom. It's going to be great. Thank you. All right. So now, Tom, this is the um, I Dare You podcast. I ask all my guests at the end, what is your I Dare You challenge for all of us? This, I can't wait for this. What do you think? You dare us to do what, Tom? Oh man, there's, I have two opposing thoughts on what to dare you about. I think... I'm going to give, I'm going to give two because 
this there's 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 one is higher level and one is smaller so first one i'll say I, I dare you to be a little more reckless with your life and not reckless in the vein of dismissing your friends and family and abandoning them to go live on a beach somewhere i mean reckless in your willingness to fail and the willingness to be wrong and your willingness to like pursue your dreams regardless of your consequences to your emotions or your uh your fears uh so the first thing i say be more reckless stop treating your life with so much care and 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 believe in your resilience a little more and then the other thing i said i dare you um to not drive somewhere but walk there i think that one of these things that i've realized now that the walk is over and i've come back into like normal society is people really do not uh, embrace inconvenience in any way i think every desire and urge has been sort of atomized and monetized in such a way that people drive to the store that's like six blocks away it take True. it would take you 20 minutes to walk there and back and you feel this need to walk there because it's going to save you some time and it'll be easier but then you just sit on your sofa and watch netflix or scroll your phone and so i think there's this you you should embrace inconvenience a little bit more go for a walk rather than um you know driving to the store or even just wait to watch a movie with your friends uh, rather than watching it alone because you'll enjoy it more um so yeah those are the two challenges go for a walk and uh embrace and uh be more reckless Tom, we've had about 61 episodes and i dare you challenge and 61 i dare you challenges uh, you win those are <laughs> fantastic congratulations i love that uh, hey, Tom, what's the best way to follow you and uh, all the cool projects you're pursuing? Yeah, it's all at the World Walk on Instagram um, and tomtursage.com. But the World Walk on Instagram is probably the best way. My my daughter actually turned me on to you. She uh, she is 25 years old and she said, you've got you've to gotta follow Tom and what he's doing. So I started following you and you're just such an inspiring story. Your photography is stunning. And this has been a real honor to actually finally meet you and learn more about your story. I can't wait uh, to hear your keynotes. I can't wait to read your memoir. And thank you again for being here in the podcast. It's really been an honor. Yeah, thanks for the great questions. It was a pleasure. That was Tom Tursich. What an interesting individual. I loved getting to know him, and I'll never forget this conversation. Now, make sure you're following Tom on Instagram, at The World Walk. Unbelievable imagery. Follow his story, photography, and make sure you check him out at tomtursich.com. Thanks for tuning in, and now that you listened, uh, who are you going to share this episode with? Could be one person, could be 10, could be a lot more than that. When you take that extra step, you have no idea the impact that it makes, not only on their lives, because you're sharing some interesting content and some different perspectives, but also this podcast is growing unbelievably, and that's because of you. So when you do that, if you're so inclined to do that, just know I don't take it for granted, and I really appreciate it. And that's why we put so much time and attention to making sure we deliver some great guests. Now, if you're like me, you're probably still digesting all the insights that Tom shared. For me, I'm thinking about the amount of risk that I'm willing to take in my life. I tend to play it pretty safe as far as the different things that I will try to do. I mean, I like taking risks for you know getting out of my comfort zone and things like starting a podcast, for example. No problem. But other things, I tend to be pretty conservative. Shocker. And he's right. The relative risk of things 
can really mess with our heads. So, for example, I'll never do a triathlon in the ocean because I'm afraid of sharks. <laughs> when, when the relative risk is very, very low, but it's in my head. So um, maybe I need to do that. So what's the, what's the thing that's holding you back when you think about the amount of risk that you have in your life? There's a lot of risk in sitting at home in our basement watching Netflix and not exercising. Uh, that, there's a lot of risk in that. Another part of this interview that really, really resonated with me was how there are good people all around the world. We can always, when we turn on the news or go to Twitter or look at our news feeds, we can always identify the bad. In fact, that's what news does. It identifies the bad things going on. When in reality, there are good people all around this country and all around the world. And it's, sometimes it's, it's easy to lose track of that. And I think it's a good reminder that Tom had that, that when you go to Turkey, there's a chance that someone's going to invite you to a wedding. And doesn't that feel good? So thanks again for listening, everyone, to episode 73. I'm so glad you're here to experience this with me. And uh, let's go for a walk. Maybe not around the world, but let's go for a walk. Tune in next week for episode 74. It's going to be a great one, another killer guest. And I'll see you back here next week in episode 74 on I Dare You Podcast. I'll see you then.